Welcome to the Pal Around Podcast, the podcast where we just, you know, pal around. My name is Julia, and I'm here with my two best pals, Tina and Jeff. Hi, guys. Booyah! <laughs> Hello, you guys. Good to Thank see you. you guys in the little Zoom, or no, I guess it's Skype, the little, the little Skype, Skype window. window. Even though. I like how you buck that trend. Like, you're no not no Zoom, Zoom for, for you. Like, Skype, <laughs> you're a Skype <laughs> I just don't want to pay for Skype. And they start kicking people off after 45 minutes. So, yeah. Zoom? I, yeah, yeah. I don't want to pay for Zoom. All right. Well, it, it works. It's, it's been serving us well. All right. Well, welcome to September. The spooky season is upon us. Who's excited? Yay. Me. Me, me. Me, me, me. Always. <laughs> Jeff is spooky 365 all year <laughs> round. <laughs> yeah. And I think, Tina, you have an idea for a little roundup that I, I'm, I'm going to let you talk about. Lead us in. Sure. I wanted to see what everyone thinks the centerpiece in the Haunted Mansion's ballroom scene is going to be. I haven't seen very many hints, so I have no clue myself. So let's start off with the Haunted Mansion guru, guru himself, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff, got, you got any insights? I think it should be based for us. I think it should be based on Madame Leota. That's Ooh. what I think. Uh, I just think that because a uh, Madame Leota seems to have a a enlarged presence mm -hmm. these days. She was a big mm -hmm. big deal in the movie. Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, a big star. So got to get make, make Madame Leota something and. Two, she has appeared in the recently announced plans for the Haunted Mansion expansion to have a role there. So I feel like now I, I'm talking about ha Madame Leota as she exists in the Haunted Mansion holiday, which is supposed to be the same right. character, right? It's supposed to still be Madame Leota, um, but she is a little. She sounds and looks a little bit different in the Haunted Mansion holiday, but. Um, I'm going to say I would like it to be based on Madame Leota. I like it. Julia, let's that, go to you. That is a good uh, guess. I'm trying to think of like past ones. Last year was Lock, Shock, and Barrel, right? Where they were featured so. pretty heavily. Hmm. I kind of like your idea of keeping it um, Haunted Mansion ride themed. Oy. I don't have any great ideas. Maybe it'll be something with the Oogie Boogie um, monkey symbol doll. I don't know. Oh, he's creepy. He's <laughs> I love creepy. him. <laughs> Tina, what are, you what are your thoughts? Well, I was going to have something to do with Lock, Shock, and Barrel, but totally forgot they were part of the theme. But I'm going to go with the mayor yeah. because he has mm. his own popcorn bucket out. Ooh. What if they incorporate that into the centerpiece? And I'm not sure he's been focused on before. Yeah, I don't recall. I can't recall either. Could be a cool spinning, like it'll spin around, of yeah. course. Like, you know, one side looks nice, one mm -hmm. side's all broken down. That could be kind of cool. Okay, we're going to need three centerpieces <laughs> after all of our ideas because <laughs> they were pretty good. <laughs> but I, I would love, I'm voting for Madame Leota now. Yeah. That's my vote. Yeah, I like it. I like it too. Well, that that was a that was a, a good idea for a roundup, Tina. Thank you, um, because You're today, September first, marks the first day of Halloween time at Disneyland. Yeah, the best season ever. It's fun. It is fun. I love it, but not at Disney not, World. That's already started, or, right? No, we're late to the party yeah. when it comes to Disney, well, Disney World. Disney World's been Halloween for at least three weeks. Yeah, yeah, they start. They have several there. Halloween parties. Yeah, they have several Halloween parties under the belt. Mm -hmm. Is it as hard to get mm -hmm. into their parties as it is to Oogie Boogie Bash? I was looking at that because I was curious, and when I it was been, been about a week when I was looking, and there were still several. There were some sold out dates, mm -hmm. but there were still several dates that were available. Do they have more parties throughout the week? Like, do they have more nights for parties, oh, or is it? I, mm, you know what? I didn't pay that close attention. I mean, obviously because of when they start, they have more parties. Mm -hmm. I feel like they may have one more during the week but honestly i'd be guessing at yeah. that i would have to check 
Yeah. They do not. What's funny on their trick-or-treat trails is they have scoops. Mm -hmm. Love, love a scoop. Um, they do not have many stations as we do. Okay. So like, you know, did, did well, California Adventure would have like four, maybe five, mm-hmm. in theory, filled stations. Theory. I say that. We did not have the best PTSD yeah, We did not have year. the best luck at our Oogie Boogie Bash last year. <laughs> no. So now they're doing like these big, huge, like dog food scoops oh, well. i mean they weren't small scoops so i was like oh well that's pretty impressive you may only have one station but they were giving up some some a lot of candy as long as they keep them filled that's all that matters yeah um yeah do any of the other parks around the world have um halloween parties oh good question i i haven't heard for yeah. sure they celebrate True. but i don't know if they have events i know like that. all i know i think i happened I think yep. Disneyland Paris has, has had like mm-hmm. special events. I don't know if they have like regular multiple parties, you know, similar parties. I was parties. just, I I was just going to talk Good about question. Disneyland Paris because I happened, I wasn't there during Halloween season proper. They were just gearing up for it and it was pretty late in September. I went in 2019 for the um, half marathon at Disneyland Paris and the last day we were in the parks they did a soft opening of their Halloween overlay for the Tower of Terror, and it was fantastic. <laughs> I think I talked about it on an episode mm-hmm. of Nostalgia. Um, they added mm-hmm. a little ghost girl that was just so creepy, and I loved it. Made me miss Tower of Terror and California Adventure, but then I ride uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. I'm like, this is pretty great, too. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking that maybe Tokyo would be the best shot mm-hmm. of having an international party. And nope, they don't do hard ticket events. Oh, interesting. They have a ton of, um, well, it says trick-or-treat in returns, though. Oh. But all you have to do is say trick-or-treat. Oh. It's not a hard ticket event. Do you have to say it in English or in... Oh, that would be fun. You have to learn how to say it Japanese, right? It... Trick or treat is not a language. It's just a phrase. Everyone knows trick or treat no matter what language you <laughs> speak. It rain on my parade. Gosh. Surely you well, must I mean, be able to say it in a different you, language. Sure you could you could translate it into a word that means <laughs> okay, trickery, right. a word that means alternative and a word that means a treat, but everyone knows trick do or they? treat. Not, like, not you don't even need it to be words. Halloween, though, do they? It's it's just a sound. Okay. Trick or treat. It's a universal like, language of love. Don't even <laughs> Little kids don't even know it's three Candy. words. They just think it's the sound trick or treat, right? They just walk around trick or treat. They don't even know they're saying words. That's how trick or okay. treat has become. Huh. It's not words. It's a way of life. Gotcha. Okay. Trick or treat. Um, but let's talk about a park that we are intimately, intimately aware of, and that is the Disneyland Resort. Um, what are we looking forward to this Halloween time? Food. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I changed my mind. Food and fireworks. There you go. They do the fart. Now that um, the Oogie Boogie Bash is in California Adventure, they do the Halloween fireworks at Disneyland, right? Yes. Yep. Great. Yeah, they only shoot fireworks behind the castle. I mean, we'll have to see this year. They haven't, I don't think they've announced the specific mm-hmm. features yet for Halloween time, right. even though it opens yep. Im- immediately. Um, I think a little bit of a surprise. I know they're not going to have um, Ghost Galaxy, right? Because isn't Space Mountain shut down for uh, oh, restoration, right. I think? I, uh, Did I, I believe I you're correct. I, I believe right? you're correct. Um, but they, of course, will have Haunted mm-hmm. Mansion Holiday. Um, always an exciting mm-hmm. time of the year, um, as we discussed mm-hmm. earlier. And they, of course, will have copious amounts of new themed edible Which they have situations. released their food guide. Yes. And I saw they have a Halloween version of the Matterhorn macaron. Is it orange? It's, I think it had some orange sprinkles on it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it looks like the app has um, the listings for the Halloween, for the seasonal offerings. Seasonal offerings. Very fancy. Yes, the food is always a big draw. Yeah. So list them. Let's talk about them. Well, I didn't write down the snacks. I wrote down <laughs> the dining packages because okay. I figured there's just well, so about, many snacks. Let's talk about okay. that. Yeah, there's too many so, snacks. 
there's too many snacks. You there's not there's you would have to do the whole year of snacks at Disneyland. But what you can do is focus on a few of the dining packages. And these are mostly in Disneyland. So to start off is let me go over here. Actually, let me start off outside of Disneyland. And this is at the Disneyland Hotel and Goofy's Kitchen is getting into the Halloween. Is this a new is this a new thing? Okay. Yes. Is it? Because I, yeah. I don't remember, I don't remember them, them ever talking being. about well, it. I don't think they've had themed dress characters outside yeah. of the parks before. Oh. I don't think yeah. for Halloween. It's true because they are going to be the the characters are going to be in Halloween costumes. Yeah. It starts September twenty first and runs through October thirtieth. 31st, I highly recommend reservations, but sometimes there's walk ups. Okay. So there is a breakfast. Ah. Uh, they say specifically a Halloween brunch and a Halloween dinner. Oh, so the breakfast will start out for $62 for adults, $34 for children. The brunch is $62 for adults again and $34 for children, which is, by the way, children are ages 3 and 9, 2 9. Um, and then the Halloween dinner, which is from 4 to 9, with the last seating at 845, according to the website, is $75 with children being 37. So, and magic key discounts, I believe, um, can be applied to that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. So that's pretty simple. And then, you go into the park and there is Tomorrowland Skyline Terrace. They are having some dining packages specifically for um, Halloween from September 1st through the 31st. It is $89 per person. And just like any other Halloween, uh, excuse me, um, forget what's it, Tomorrowland Skyline Terrace packages, you um, arrive between 6.30 and 10. You either get to stay in that area all day or you can come, you have in and out privileges. Um, you have your choice of meals. So the meals for adults, this doesn't sound too bad, is <laughs> fried pork rice bowl. Doesn't sound too bad. A, oh, I like a, that. Right? And this one doesn't sound bad either. The pot roast Philly. And I love Ooh. a good Philly sandwiches <laughs> sandwich. And then the fried cauliflower, yes. cauliflower curry bowl. Yes. I'd say there's, that there's something for all of us. Yeah. There's something any, for all of us. Any yes. three of those would be better than the meatloaf sandwich I had there last time. <laughs> that was quite possibly the worst thing I've ever eaten at Disneyland. <laughs> That, it, that was was it was horrible. It's horrible. We had fun, and fun then, at the at the terrace, but that was horrible. And then your your choices of of drinks, which I think are pretty cool, is the blood orange slush, which is a blood orange flavored slush with raspberry drizzle, served with a Mickey Mouse shaped glow cube. So you get a glow cube as nice. well. And then there's a nice. pineapple and jalapeno limeade. So pineapple and lime juices with diced jalapenos with a lime slice. And again, you also get a Mickey Mouse glow cube. And I'm sorry, did I say the price for those? I think it was $89. I think I did. So um, that is so it, hopefully you're going when the fireworks yeah. are, are also being shown because that is definitely a highlight um, for that. But so check the schedule and make sure you're catching the fireworks. And then the other dining package they have, which is more up my alley a little bit, is the Plaza Inn dining package. So this one is the Plaza Inn Halloween Screams dining package. Ooh. So you get a reserved viewing area for the fireworks. That's always a good thing. And the meal is a little different. You're not getting um, the fried chicken. I don't know why they change it, but they do. So the adult meal is a short rib and cabernet sauce with bacon cheddar mash, charred scallion chimichurri with roasted broccolini, served with hibiscus lemonade and a specialty dessert. Doesn't sound bad, but still, it's not the fried chicken. <laughs> so the packages start there at $60 per adult. And again, children between three and nine are $30. And the Magic Key holder discounts do apply. And the reserve time for that is, it says, between 7 and 9. So I like a good review, uh, excuse me, reserved viewing. Oh. So um, I would totally go for that one. Are you planning any trips during Halloween time, Tina? Well, I was trying to plan a solo day trip, flying in, flying out. I did not take advantage of Southwest's sale they just ah. had. 
Yeah, I didn't I didn't pull the trigger. And so I'm not sure because flights are now double. So. But it's open. <laughs> Good. <So. laughs> we'll see. We will see. <laughs> yeah, I love Halloween time. The decorations are my favorite, especially yes. in California Adventure. That headless horseman, man. You know, uh, you know what? That really does steal the cake. Ha- California Adventure, it definitely deserves some kudos. As much as Disneyland is just like so classic, hugworthy. Yeah. yeah. But California Adventure, they have really stepped up their game. And, and I appreciate that, too. Mm-hmm. Especially when you can't go in after when the parties are yeah. um, happening. Yep. Um, yeah. Jeff, what about you? Do you, which park do you prefer the decorations in? Oh, Disneyland, <laughs> New Orleans Square mm-hmm. area. Yep. Yeah, it, it's well, all. I fun. think we're saying if you if, even if you don't have a park hopper, whichever park you decide to go in for Halloween, it's great. You're not going to be disappointed. Yep. Um, I have a question, and we may have <laughs> talked about this before. I don't remember, but I want to hear again. Um. Being that one of their major Halloween overlays is not going to happen in Ghost Galaxy, what ride would you like to see get a Halloween overlay? Small world, for sure. <laughs> that would be so good with scary <laughs> dolls. That'd oh, be my great. gosh. I really want them to turn the uh, train into a Halloween. That'd be good. A ghost train. A ghost yeah. train. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It could even just yeah. be the narration. Like, just ghost stories and make it yeah. kind of spooky. Especially at night. Even if they didn't do anything different. Like, that would be... That actually is a great do idea, it. Julia. Take 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 um, a Monsters After Dark do it. page and make it, like, mm-hmm. a haunted train tour. I'm going to say Otopia. Autopia. And then you have perhaps some characters, not animation characters, but people characters out there to scare you perfect especially when you're going off-road in that darker area <laughs> yeah you never know when they're gonna <laughs> that would be awesome they'll never do yeah. it but that would be so awesome like they'll never do live characters no. again it's just it's like their risky. live characters are the the huggers and the you know the characters uh i should say never like who knows like it, it seems, seems fun you know they don't they don't seem to lean in that direction yeah. but that would be awesome that would be awesome or, or the train, like oh, yeah. if they had live characters in the stations mm-hmm. waiting for you. Again, awesome. I like all three of these ideas. Let's see it happen. Disney, I want to see all three of those centerpieces and all three of these right ideas. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. You're welcome. Do it. You know they listen to all the Disney podcasts, right? <laughs> totally. All right. Well, yay. Welcome Halloween time. I'm sure we'll have more to say in October. Um, But for right Mm -hmm. now, why don't we move on to uh, a more local attraction for us? The Walt Disney Family Museum had a couple of great uh, presentations last month that um, I thought maybe we could share a little bit about. And I was lucky, and I yeah, had a solo pal around with Jeff at one, and a solo pal around with Tina at the other, and it was great. <laughs> and you and your solo, solo pal <laughs> Listen to you getting around. <laughs> so the first one, <laughs> the first solo pal around that Julia had was the music of the Silly Symphonies with composer Fabrizio Mancinelli. If he comes back so- to the museum, I highly recommend going to see him talk. Um He's, He's an, an interesting, interesting guy. guy. He's a great speaker. Um, he clearly does his homework, and he might not call himself a historian of Disney, but he he is definitely a um, an academic fan. Yeah. Oh, so I would. So mm-hmm. it's interesting, right? So I probably look at it a little different than you. Like I agreed with him. I would agree with him after hearing him talk that he's more of uh, of a studious mm-hmm. fan than a historian. Um, I think. You know, it's probably a reason he pointed that out. Um, so mostly like what we were, what he did for us was organize information and put it out there. Right. So I wouldn't say he looked into anything or was necessarily an expert on the material. Well, expertise is 
but he your knowledge, he did right? His so homework. for sure, he understood because he is he is a composer and he mm-hmm. is a musician, um, a successful composer. In fact, he he and he's a musician, right? So he, in fact, Julia is the one that pointed this out to me because I would have skipped right past this. It's surprising to me that no one made like they didn't market this very much. But he conducted, and I guess conductor is more of a utilitarian role than a creative role, or at least apparent uh, the way it's marketed but he conducted the symphony for the new haunted mansion movie so um he you know you can say well he didn't write the music but he interpreted it and what you hear is his kind of interpretation of how it Mm -hmm. should be performed so that's kind of a big deal to me the haunted mansion fan so i even took with me um my haunted mansion popcorn bucket that i got at the movie theater for him to sign which he was you know quickly did so i think he um, is proud of what he did for the Haunted Mansion, but but Fabrizio Mancinelli, right? So he was there to talk about um, Disney's silly symphonies, right? So he he talked about how he grew up with Disney, so that you know, and a lot of the people that talk to the Disney Museum talk about, yeah, I grew up with the Disney movies, or I saw Snow White and wanted to be an animator, or wanted to be a, a Disney artist. You, you hear this a lot. No different from him. He he remembers his Friday night family times with pizza i i don't was it was this mm-hmm. in italy yep. he's an italian right yep. in italy right so friday night um disney movies and pizza time Home- with his family pizza. that's how he grew up and so and a lot of us grew up sunday nights with disney right but similar idea um so for him it was friday nights so he um he has been at the museum he talked about i think fantasia last time he was there but he talks about the music uh, often because that's his expertise um and he just you know he he kind of wanted to point out the things that were interesting mm-hmm. to him about what, when he looked into, you know, the silly symphonies and Walt Disney's um, creation of these things and why Walt Disney did it. Um, he always pointed out, you know, that the silly symphonies were part of Walt Disney's process of creation. So um, they were early development in his studio life. Um, it was part of Walt Disney's kind of practicing his skill and he always wanted things to be better right and so the silly symphonies they demonstrate this definite strong evolution like from mickey mouse's albi works mickey mouse and albi works skeleton dance to um the old mill which is what he ended his talk with and you could you know the the slide up between Sil- the silly symphony skeletons and the old mill with its multiplane camera work and it's like an art piece right big huge distinction so he was kind of i think trying to point out this evolution in walt disney's um arc there so um walt disney let's see his first i think what his first academy award was for a symph- silly symphony right is that right i'm trying so. to remember what all what all he said julia took some notes for me and i'm trying to kind of look at them here <laughs> and remember everything because we went quickly he showed us a lot of, um, a few, I should say, a few Silly Symphonies portions of them, some in their entirety, and um, we just kind of looked at them. You know, he he kind of was trying to point out that a lot of people don't know the old stuff. Like, you know, everyone remembers Sleep or Snow White and the, the big feature films, but everyone doesn't always remember the Silly Symphonies and Mickey Mouse, and then the Silly Symphonies are what began this this. Um, the studios, they really cemented the studio in its path towards um, animation dominance, right? So, um, so there was, we did look at some examples. We, there, one of the Disneyland um, television shows, you know, Walt Disney had Disneyland, his Sunday night show. And um, one of the episodes from, I think it was right before Disneyland even opened, was Story of the Animated Drawing. And so it was kind of um, a history of animation um disney animation not even just from the 50s uh, disney animation just animation animation right and at that point the disney studio had only been around for 25 Mm -hmm. 30 years right so it was pretty young comparatively we're celebrating Mm -hmm. disney 100 right now um so um he talked about some of the music he talked about minnie's yoohoo how it was the first song that was written for one of all disney's characters minnie's you minnie Minnie's Yoo-Hoo. Um, he talked about Carl Stalling, who is kind of a popular um, animated film, um, a, a popular name behind animated films. He started with Disney, um, friends with Disney, right? And he started working with Playing Crazy and Galloping Gaucho and working with Walt Disney. Um, and he even, I think, proposed to Walt Disney, like, you should do something based on music. Like, th- that's where Silly Symphonies came from, right? And that turned into directly, I think he said, like, a dance macabre, mm-hmm. like, 
you know, because that was a popular uh, musical format. So then that turned into the skeleton dance, which was, I think, the first Silly Symphony, right? Was the skeleton dance. Um, so, and then um, he talked a little bit about how Disney had musical innovation with the Silly Symphonies. So um, the first um, synchronized click track was a, a Disney innovation, as far as I know. Um, and that was something that went into the Silly Symphonies. So that I think that was a Jeremy McDonald kind of con construction or, or invention, right? So a way to time the music with the animation so you could figure out if the animation beats right here that's where the sound effect will go that type of thing um so music was a common like the, the idea of using music and animation and marrying them together was very um natural because if if before they were able to match it together on the film there would have been music being performed live in the theater right always music went with these kind of um, features. So um, it was kind of a natural progression for Walt to try to figure out technologically, how do we do this um, in our films? Um, let's see. So <laughs> what else did Fabrizio talk about here? Um, he said, writing music for animation is much different than writing music for live action films. He talked a little bit about that because he has written music for animation. In fact, he wrote the score for, um, what was it? Um, Andreas... Deja's mm -hmm, film is that is mm -hmm. that who I'm thinking of? His Mush latest Mushka. short film, his independent short film, Mushka. Yeah, he wrote the music for that. Um, he said, I think he said that musicians call animated scoring Mickey Mousing. Um, I believe that's he was talking about it, like something that is said in the the world of animation. Um, and it's of course based on the idea that it started with animated film music, kind of started with early Disney films. Um, so he talked a little bit about of iWorks, of course, um, who was co-creator of Mickey Mouse um, and then who was responsible largely for the skeleton dance. I think almost single-handedly animated it, if I remember that correctly. Of iWorks was an animation beast with the Mickey, early Mickey films and the early Silly Symphonies. Um, and, you know, Walt always meant the Silly Symphonies to be these individual vignettes like he didn't want them to be a series of films like the three little pigs i think have a sequel there might be a couple silly symphonies that have um sequel like or you know following sim silly symphonies with the same characters but they really aren't designed to be like a series they're designed to be each individual one-off little mini mini Mm -hmm. animated films um we talked about flowers and trees from 1932 so moving on um no skeleton dance was in 1929 so that was the first silly symphony 1932 flowers and, and that trees was that was out. the first that color, was color right? yep first color so that was exciting technicolor i think or three three trip mm -hmm. color i'm not exactly sure but the first color silly symphony um and um i think in fact the walt disney studios um were the first, like the reason the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, the Oscars, the reason they invented a category for animated shorts, I think was because of Silly Symphonies. Like they wanted to mm -hmm. give them an Oscar, so they made a category for it. Um, and then, so moving on to 1934, I think Babes in the Woods came out, which was uh, like a popular story, like an old fable that they turned into a story, right? So um, all these different kind of um topics he, he kind of was pointing out how there's all kinds of different ways that walt disney came about finding the topics for his silly symphonies um 1933 so maybe 1932 is babes in the woods i'm not sure the timeline here but 1933 was three little pigs uh, which was by far the, yep. the biggest commercial success silly symphonies like three little pigs merch three little pigs who's afraid of the big bad wolf was covered by on the radio popular by artists different yeah. performers yeah um even today everyone knows who's afraid of the big bad wolf like you, you know that song took over the world so it was a huge huge success um and it was also and it was also according to um this 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 lecture he said that it was the start of what he calls personality mm -hmm. animation so um the first kind of animated the animation that the characters had distinct like comical right. personalities like in a different way than like the skeletons just kind of doing their thing or even mickey mouse um just kind of like he laughed a lot but he was mostly a character acting right just kind of act mm -hmm. doing actions 
like walking and then he would ex- have expressions, but it wasn't really personality. Like the three little pigs, each of them had a specific personality. Um, that kind of started with this. And he also said that was the birth of the Walt Disney Studios use of story department, the three little pigs. Um, and then um, I think Frank Churchill was the, the uh, musician who wrote that song, I believe. Um, and then he, uh, um so who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Of course, like we just mentioned, took over the world. Big deal. And then after World War II, um, part of the little, Three Little Pigs part was reanimated. He told this story because there was a scene in there, which I don't know if I've ever seen because it's, you know, I don't know if Disney, if this is out there, but there was a scene that was a little, I think they, it was anti-Semitic or they feared it was anti-Semitic. It may have been like um, there were some, a lot of, a lot of things, you know, in that the studio did back then, some of it was not mm-hmm. acceptable. You know, some of it is has to this day become unacceptable to show as it is. And there was something that even back in the 40s, they decided we had to take this out. Like, it's not okay to make jokes, you know, because of obviously World War II had a dramatic effect on the popula- Jewish population of the world. Like, we're not going to have a joke about anti-Semitism, whether it's mean-spirited or, or not, that, that's got to go, which, of course obviously. So that happened. He talked about that. 1934, Wise Little Hen was the first appearance of our favorite duck. Donald. Donald, (laughs) yeah. And um, also in 1934, The Goddess of Spring was interesting because there were human forms in that. So you can kind of see the genesis of Walt trying to do realistic human animation, which was immediate stepping stone to Snow White. Right. So, and some of the things, so if you look at Goddess of the Spring and the female form in it, she's very rubbery. (laughs) No bones. She's very kind of willowy, but she is um, stylized Mm -hmm. realism. It's not a cartoon character. It's an illustration of Mm -hmm. a young woman, right? So you can see that they're attempting to figure out like what is hand-drawn realism? That wasn't something that existed. So they were trying to make that exist. Like how do we hand-draw real humans right and so as we know from nostalgia <laughs> they did some rotoscoping as much as did some disney historians like to say they didn't rotoscope of course of course they rotoscoped which is to film live action and then use that to directly um inform your animation whether it's literally tracing or copying or whatever like to use animated uh, filmed animation from a human mm-hmm. you know model to create your animation so that was one way they learned how the human figure works of course there were extremely talented artists working for the disney studios so some of it they especially the cartoon characters like they animated from um their their minds and their imaginations so all that going together was how do we come up with snow white eventually right so um 1936 the country cousin cousins you know the mice the two mice uh and then finally he talked about in 1937 the old mill coming out which was um the one of the most prominent early uses of dimensional animation. So multiplane camera, of course, um, where you could literally zoom through animated scenes like a, like a zoom camera would do in the real world. And if you've seen a multiplane camera, they have one at the Walt Disney Family Museum. They have one at Walt mm-hmm. Disney, Disneyland. And I think one is where is it in Paris or somewhere else? There's a third one, but, um, it's this giant contraption, maybe three stories, two or three stories tall. And like they just put the camera at the top and layers of film at various stages along that path. And it just zoom, use a zoom lens to focus on one level and they'll animate there. Then they'll focus on another level and animate there. Then they'll focus on another level. And it really is incredible, amazing animation. Beauty and the Beast uses this to amazing, great effect. I think Beauty and the Beast may have been the last film to use. I don't know that. I'm guessing it by trying to remember (laughs) in my head how things looked before computers came around. I'm not sure, but for sure, the beginning of Beauty and the Beast uses this mm-hmm. to great effect, like with all of Belle's countryside and dancing. But the the multiplane camera, first amazing use of it was the Old Mill, which is a beautiful, silly symphony. If you've never seen it, it's almost poetic. No, no talking, no words. It's all um, just um, atmospheric activity and, mm-hmm. and nat- nature, like you know, nature, and yeah. it's amazing. So, and that was, and so then he talked about how this all led up to Snow White. And then at the end of the presentation, of course, he wouldn't let us go without having us all sing along, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? So, so we had a Big Bad Wolf sing along with um, 
composer Fabrizio Mancinelli. And then we got to have his autograph if you wanted. And he brought copies of um, the music that he composed for Andrea yep. Stasia's film. And he's like the front, the first page, and he signed those all. I do have to say... He made a mistake that I've made many times, which is he laser printed them onto not laser copy paper. So mind is destroyed. Like I, I somehow I put it in a folder that, that touched the, the toner and it all smeared, oh, like no. smeared off. So <laughs> mine kind of got ruined. So if you're out there and you, you happen to be one of the hundred or so people that got one of these, be careful with it because it will smear into oblivion. The toner it will. It's not set into that paper very well. But having said that, he did sign my Leota, um, ball so that all did is not forgiven. smear and that did not smear it was a sharpie and it was a wonderful afternoon as always at the Walt Disney Family Museum so I hope that report um, did That's it justice great. thank you Jeff thank and you Julia now let's move on the following weekend they had another very fun event that Tina came with me and I do have notes for that one Tina so Feel free to jump Thank in. Goodness. Yeah. Okay. Feel free to jump in with any <laughs> recollections. Uh, but this one was called It's a Dog's Life with Disney legend Bill Farmer and Guide Dogs for the Blind. So I did not exactly know what to expect from this event going into it, but I was like, Bill Farmer, I don't think I don't think I've seen him at the museum before. Um so it's can't like, go wrong. Yeah, we can't 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 go wrong with the voice of Goofy. Um, so this presentation was broken up into two parts. Um, they started with Bill Farmer kind of introducing himself, um, which I don't think anybody in the audience actually needed him to introduce himself, but he did anyway. And he is has been the voice of Pluto and Goofy since 1987. Um, and he's the first voice actor to receive the Fritz Freeling Award, um, among many other awards. Um, but he was there to talk about um, his show that was on Disney Plus for a short time called It's a Dog's Life. Um, and he was the producer and the host of this show. Um, now, Tina, I completely missed it because I blinked while, while it was on Disney Plus. But you got to watch a couple of episodes, right? Yes, I watched pretty much the whole season. It was super cute. Um, he did show a few of the episodes, one or two episodes at the museum. So it brought back memories. And it just talked about the jobs that different animals have. Mm -hmm. And you would think, okay, there's the guide dogs that we have that we all know. And um, there might be sheep type dogs. But there was a dog that is a companion to a cheetah. Mm-hmm. Because a cheetah didn't grow up with the family. So the dog would teach the cheetah how to play. And it just opened your eyes to what is out there besides a pet and certain services that dogs do perform. Yeah, he, he even mentioned that there, I don't remember if this was one of the episodes or if it was one of the ideas for an episode. But he mentioned that there is a dog that has the job to sniff will poop. Oh, that was an episode. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And he's the, okay. that dog. I remember this episode, and they showed a little bit of it. But they, I remember that episode, and it was for scientific purposes. They needed the poop for certain scientific reasons to see how the whales were doing. And you would not, on your own, you'd be searching for a while because, well, whales have <laughs> tendency to have a mind of their own and don't always come up where you're at. Well, the dog would be able to sniff the air and direct the boat operators where to go. And sure enough, there was poop, 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 poop smelling dogs poop everywhere, poop everywhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's a dog's life. Um, it's not on Disney Plus anymore, um, but it was all about dogs with interesting jobs. Um, and he said that it was an interesting process when they sold the show to Disney because it went straight to series rather than having to kind of like shop around um it went straight to series uh, there were 13 separate divisions of disney that were involved so it's a pretty big deal and it was not on disney plus for very long <laughs> no um hopefully it comes back hopefully it cycles back in and you get to enjoy it yeah and um bill farmer mentioned that goofy was the first miracle of his career and he said it's a dog's life was the second miracle so he is very proud of that show, and maybe it will circle back around. Um, 
but each episode was made up of two segments um, and showcased two different dogs with two different jobs. And they did show an episode or they showed half of an episode. So it was about 12 minutes. Um, and like you mentioned, Tina, it was um, at the Cincinnati Zoo and they, they introduced us to two dogs that they have there um, to be cheetah companions. And so that was the first part of the presentation. This present this event was broken up into three parts. So the first part was Bill Farmer introducing himself and his show, It's a Dog's Life. And then the second part was um, Guide Dogs for the Blind, which is a an organization that is in San San Rafael, right? Yeah, they have they actually have an office, excuse me, training facilities in San Rafael and in Oregon. Okay. But we were dealing with the people from San Rafael. San Rafael. And I did, like, I've heard of Guide Dogs for the Blind. I did not know anything about this organization, but it was actually really very inspiring and quite, it's quite amazing what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So Karen Woon, who is one of the executives over there, uh, gave us uh, an introduction to their organization. And um, then she had a couple of their dog trainers give a guide dog demo. And two of their, I believe they, if they haven't graduated, they're very close to graduating. Um, But they train the dogs with different type of behaviors. Um, And they call, call it, they kind of teach them intelligent disobedience, which is, was kind of an interesting term in which they, um, when the dogs are out with with their companions um and they see that there is uh any kind of impediment that they are going to either trip on or walk into like the dog stops and um they base what they do next on how their handler they wait until their handler finds the the um whatever it is that is going to cause harm to them um so until they find it and they they're like oh, okay I, I won't do that um the dog will not continue walking and i explained that very poorly <laughs> i hope you understood <laughs> what i meant um but they gave us um just a little demo of of the kind of behaviors that they teach the dogs and um just just so that um we kind of had a better understanding of what the dogs do like it is really all based on behavior like the dog doesn't the dog doesn't know if a light is red or whatever they base it on behavior Mm -hmm. of of the environment around them um but the they also mentioned that they also had a show that was shelved on disney plus and i certainly missed this one as well it was called pick of the litter um did you see that one tina Yes. Oh, good. You watched all the dog shows. Good for you. I, I've missed everything, I think. <laughs> um, but uh, they said that um, all of their services are free. Um, they give tours of their campus. Um, they train guide dogs and any of the dogs that um, they train that don't pass the the course. Um they get kind of put into a different service that they offer, which are canine buddies. Um, a career change. Exactly. And they're more, um, they're not for like being actual guide dogs, but if anybody needs that suffers from like anxiety or something like that, they're more of a companion. Um, and what else? They have graduations every two weeks, which I believe they said they live stream. Um, and then the dogs are in a 12, 12 week training cycle. And basically the guide dogs just find the obstacles that are in the way of their, their person. Um, Tina, do you have anything else to add? Yeah. Yeah, so um, they don't start training until they're about 18 months. That's when they feel they're like mature enough out of their puppy stage. So what they do before they're ready to change with the puppy raisers, by the way, you can volunteer to be a puppy raiser 
isn't that an awesome job? That sounds fun. And yeah. So as a puppy raiser, you're teaching them like good behaviors, obviously sit and stay. Don't jump. Socialization. Yeah. yeah so, so socialization, um, how to work on the harness. They do say um, if you do approach um, a service dog uh, to ask before you pet it. It's very important to ask before you can pet it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you might be might be told no um, because once those dogs put on the harness the hard harness that you may have seen not just the leash they know they're ready to work mm-hmm. and they're in work mode mm-hmm. so that it by petting them or yelling at them or doing something it takes them out of that work mode phase and could actually harm the handler so just if you're out in the public just ask for permission and please don't be offended if they say no because yep. uh, there may be a reason for it so but yeah they started 18 months in the types of dogs so the um, the San Rafael and the Oregon one I believe but sp- specifically for the San Rafael they only work with two types of breeds of dogs and they feel like these are the best for their program mm-hmm. Other guide dog uh, organizations do deal with different breeds, but their breeds that they deal with are just the yellow and black labs. Mm -hmm. And I was reading why they were saying, why not chocolate labs? And like, I guess chocolate labs are a little difficult to breed, so they Mm -hmm. don't focus on a chocolate lab. Um, But yet yellow and black are very common um, to breed. And then they also have golden retrievers or a combination of both. Mm -hmm. So a lab retriever type mix. So those are the only two breeds um, that this particular person, uh, excuse me, organization deals with. So it was very interesting. It was very interesting overall. They really went into depth. I mean, you you know that there's handlers out there, you know that they're, they're helping those that have vision issues. But to know what these dogs go through and what they learn and the trust that goes into it. Mm -hmm. They also mentioned, I thought someone asked this question, I thought it was very interesting. You know, what if a dog and I just say they don't call him a dog. They call him something else. But my apologies. But the dog and the handler, what if they don't get along or what if they don't mix or what if it's not working right? Mm-hmm. Then they'll pair you with another dog. Right. And and the, the dog that they don't have, they'll be paired with another person. So it's all about personalities, just like, you know, dating. If you yeah. don't get along with one person, well, you're not going to con- continue to date that person. You're going to find someone that's more compatible with you. And that's what they do for the um, the guide dogs for the blind, too. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Another question. I never thought of it. Yeah. Another question somebody asked is what happens when the dog needs to retire? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they stay with their, their handler until, you know, the end. Um, but other times they get placed with the handler's extended family like the the and then they just they just get to enjoy their retirement which was nice um and then and then some people also have what and during their lifetime maybe three or four mm -hmm. dogs that um are assisting them through life so Mm -hmm. um it's not just you get one dog and that's it no they'll they'll keep placing dogs with you that you need as long as you need assistance so mm-hmm. and the fact that it's free veterinary it's care incredible. the adoption process it's all on donations they get no government grants um so um there is a fundraiser coming up around the ho- holidays i forget what it says so if you're interested in um going to the campus not only can you get a tour but there is a fundraiser to also help mm-hmm. with that yeah um, and I thought it was interesting when they got to the question and answer part of the event. Most of the questions were for the the guide dogs for the blind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a couple sprinkled in there yeah. for Bill. But uh, I also thought, you know, it's funny. We, we see these um, Disney celebrities so often. But obviously, there were some people in the audience that hadn't heard Bill Farmer doing Goofy mm-hmm. in real life. And when he did it. These adults get it like little children. Yeah. And it was so awesome to see. It just, I, I, I don't know how you cannot get giddy with them, but it was just sweet that they had never experienced that before. Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of cool. So, because he did do, do some voices a little mm-hmm. bit for us. Yeah. That's always a treat. Um, yeah. But the treat was the third part <laughs> of the event. <laughs> and so we should say Bill did not do autographs right. at this event, but there was a photo opportunity. Yes. It was a photo opportunity with Bill Farmer and some of the, the puppies. Yes. Uh, so we got to, um, it was very cool, out front of the uh, museum, several of the puppy raiser volunteers um, 
brought the puppies and were out there to answer questions, take pictures. Um, petting. We can petting. pet them Lots if we wanted pets. to. Yep. Some kisses. There yep. was a couple dogs that were very enthusiastic. Yes. So I got some puppy kisses. Um, and then you got to take a picture with Bill and a couple of the puppies too. So yeah, it was yeah. very fun. It was great talking to the handlers. Um, they really, you know, let you know what they do as a puppy raiser, mm-hmm. um, as not a trainer. And just to see these dogs already at that young age, mm-hmm. very well behaved. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and so cute. So, so cute. cute. Um, and this particular event was in line with their special um exhibition disney cats and dogs um and tina you got some good news <gasps> guess what my girls are next yay so Oz- oswald has already been a celebrity yep. he's been he's- king the celebrity yep. and now my two little queens anna and elsa they're up next they're going to be featured in the exhibit during september and i am very excited yes. so at first i only got one email i'm like oh only one's gonna get focused on i don't know which one they don't say and then got another email Yay. i already did only did two submissions one each so yeah. i'm like both of them are in and then the same month Great. so so we're walking we're ta- we're telling them that they're celebrities um they may have gotten an ego if they're demanding <laughs> belly rubs and extra food, toys so. Yes, yes. So it's uh, it's gonna be hard to live with them this month, but you know, <laughs> Worth the queen's got to do what queen's got to do. <laughs> Great. Um, and you'll be hearing more ab- for, about the Walt Disney Family Museum from us because there are two other great events coming up in September. Yes. So we will they report are, about that. The, they are hitting their stride. Yes, it's. Keep we, it coming. Yes, yes. And so far, the dates are aligning with my already <laughs> very full calendar. So way to go, Family Museum. Thank you. They um, finally checked your calendar. They, they did. <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> so I want to move on. I have some random things that I want to talk about. And if either of you have anything randomly that you want to throw in here, now's your chance. Um, but I want to start with a quick game review. Um, I picked up a board game. I picked up Disney Mickey and the Beanstalk by Funko Games, the collector's edition on the last Amazon Prime day because it was like $7. And I was like, I have looked at that box more than once and been intrigued by it. So I thought $7 is an, is a price I'm willing to pay in case I hate this game. Great news. I didn't hate it. <laughs> I thought it was very cute. Um, it, it's, it's by Funko Games. So the artwork is spectacular. Um, the, Funko hasn't been best mm-hmm. with their games, right? Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. They're always beautiful though. <laughs> it mm-hmm, doesn't mm-hmm. It, whether I can figure out how to play them has been another issue. Um but this one I was able to figure out. Um you it is meant for ages 4 plus so that might have something to do with why I was able to figure it out. Um <laughs> it is for 2 to 4 players and it is a cooperative game. Um and it takes about 30 minutes to play per game. Uh the board is really cool. It's on two levels. Um so you have like Happy Valley on the bottom with the beanstalk leading up to the uh giant's table. And basically you're just trying to get the golden heart from the giant as well as food um from the giant in order to feed all of Happy Valley and you're trying to do this before the giant fills up his treasure chest. Um we did lose, but we had fun. um my favorite part of the game is so you've got the beanstalk going up and i was it this took me a second to figure out but each of the game pieces and the harp are on this like little plastic base with like a little it looks kind of like a little puzzle piece so it's got a little notch cut out and i was like what the heck is that and then i realized they slide down the beanstalk (laughs) No. Mm -hmm. So you put it on the top and it slides down. That's that's awesome. It was it was so cute. Um, Okay, I I I feel like you need to make a reel. Yeah, I took a I took a video of it. So okay, okay, I will. I'll I'll share that. Um, but I don't know exactly what makes this the collector's edition. (laughs) But 
I recommend the words it. Yeah. collector in addition. Quite possibly. There. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it it it's very cute and it was fun. Um, nice. Just keeping in the thread of games, which I hear um, Mouse Nostalgia is talking all about this in <gasps> a recent episode. Um, Lorcana. I'm very curious to hear what Jeff has to say about it. Um, but the card it's, game it's is here. finally, it's finally coming out. It was already released into some stores. I heard that was a, a Megillah for some of the more specialty game stores to get to get their allotment. Um, but it is being released on Shop Disney on September 1st. So possibly by the time you listen to it, maybe you got your whatever piece of Lurkana that you were hoping to get. Maybe you didn't. I'm not exactly sure what to expect <laughs> will it sell out now, by are these... one? who knows yes and it'll crash the system <laughs> um so are these like in little five card packs i believe or do the, you... i believe the the card packs come with 12 12 okay um, decent and there are different um like starter packs that you can buy like there's different there's different levels of which you can you can start the game with. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if I'm ever going to be able to figure out how to play a card game. I never figured out how to play Pokemon. Nope. Um, I am going to try to get something. We'll see if I do. Um, I'm hoping for the um, the collector, the collector's one that comes with the Aurora card. Ooh, that'd be nice. So we'll see. Um. But I still have my little my little Mickey Mouse card from the expo. Me too. I never pulled the trigger. And there's sold it. there's still time. If you do, chicken. if you do, so I'm curious chicken. curious to hear how that goes. Um, but <laughs> we will we will uh, see what Jeff has to say about it on nostalgia. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Yeah, check in. Check into mouse the most recent nostalgia. I don't say much about it. Like none of none of us know it hasn't come out yet. So it came out to a few mm-hmm. collectible stores, as you mentioned. Um, and of course, you know, people are already trying to determine mm-hmm. what are the rarest cards, and some of them are worth a lot of money on eBay. Um, but you, you know, we'll, we'll see. see what happens. I suspect they'll all sell out right away, and then it'll right. be a few months, and then finally we'll all finally we'll all have a chance yeah. to get cards. You know, so um, are either of you? We'll see. Like it's yeah. hard to Are either say. of you trying to get mm-hmm. anything? Uh just oh, the knowledge know. on how to play. Great. Okay. <laughs> it's hard to say. If I, you know, I'm usually up around mid. I usually go yeah. to bed around nine. Wake up around eleven thirty. I'm usually up around yeah. midnight for a while. I mean, if I look and it looks like these, all these, because you can get it at a number of online places. I think they're all gonna. I don't know if they're all gonna yeah. sell it at midnight. Uh, Shop um, Disney, I believe, is gonna be Disney on probably yeah. will try. But I don't know if they're all going to try it, but mm-hmm. Amazon will have it. Walmart might have it. Hot Topic might have it. So there's a few places yeah. that might have it. <laughs> you know, you might try mm-hmm. going to your mall first thing Friday a morning. Mall? You might be able to find <laughs> what? some What's a mall? Topic. <laughs> you might be able to get some at um, uh, Box Lunch. Box, I think Box the Lunch. Sa- yeah. But I'm not it sure if Box like Lunch a place has it. Would have it yeah. so, but they're um, going to show up here yeah, and yeah. there. So, uh, you know, you might be able to get them. Eventually, I suspect you will be able to get your yeah. some packs of cards. But limited mm-hmm. is limited. Like the ones that are rare and hard to find will always yeah. be rare and hard to find. You know, they've probably decided how many of those they're going to print, and they're probably either already printed or, you know, will be when when they all sell out. They'll make right. second editions and third editions. So, you know, it's it's kind of hard yeah. to say what's going to happen. I'm here. intrigued. So, a lot of buzz. Mm-hmm. I, I am. I I read about it a little bit online. A friend of mine at work and I were a little interested, so we pulled up an article because we were so busy at work, and it didn't block <laughs> us, and so we read a little bit about it. <laughs> I can tell you one thing. I am never going to play my Mickey Mouse popper, Prince or popper, whatever, yeah. card. Yeah. That's, that's not going to be played. Pop- is he so. the brave little tailor? It's a brave little tailor, so yes. I'm sorry. No. Yeah, that that's going to stay safe. Yes. Um. Just a couple of other interesting things I want to point out. Um, you guys, a Disney legend is going to be on Days of Our Lives. <laughs> and that legend <laughs> is Dick Van Dyke himself. The legend of the legends. Yeah. Like, I am so intrigued <laughs> by, I don't know how many episodes he's going to be on. I don't know if it's just going to be one or like more. 
Are you recording them? Or are you streaming them? What's how do they do Days of Lives? Uh, Days of the Lives. Days of whatever. our lives. Days of our lives now, these days. Uh, exclusively <laughs> on Peacock, which okay. luckily I get streaming. Okay, free with our Xfinity internet. Thank you, nice. Xfinity. Um, but yeah. I am looking forward to it because I have am a long haul <laughs> Days of Our Lives <laughs> fan. So I love it that now a little bit of two of my worlds are colliding. Um, so I'm going to watch. I'll let you know That's if hilarious. it's worth. I'll let you know if it's worth watching. <laughs> well, we'll leave it up to you. Okay. I don't. I have to. Uh, I, that, uh, that's my job for my sisters too. Let them know <laughs> if it's a long commitment of watching him on Days of Our Lives or a short commitment, and if it's worth watching. Um, but he <laughs> is going to be in an episode starting on that is going to premiere on September first, um, and then also Destination D is coming up, and yes. they are offering a live stream for one of the days on September ninth. I unfortunately will not be around to stream anything, but I think you just have to be a D23 member in order to have access to the live stream. Yeah, I got the email. I haven't seen it, but I understand it's live only. I don't think it's going to be replayed. I don't think so. Uh, I could be I could be wrong, but uh, be prepared. Don't yeah. uh, just in case you're not able to see it the next day or they're going to restream it. Yeah. So. It, and it, it could be that way down the line they'll release some of the videos because they've done that with some past right. expo uh presentations but yeah i'm a little sad i want to see the the oswald one <laughs> yeah um, yeah and speaking of expo i have my fingers crossed that whoever's attending the d23 will be the first to hear the announcement of the next expo and i have my fingers even That's my more crossed that it will still be in anaheim <laughs> i think it will be <laughs> please um yeah if it goes yeah i i hope that they announce it too because yeah i love the expo yeah it's a lot of fun but that is all of the news i have do either of you have anything else you would like to share not offhand i think you have covered it all i've only bought more lounge flies <laughs> i can't stop oh especially when there's a good sale I but i did get a scarecrow mickey mouse for thanksgiving so oh, cute that holiday is complete now oh cute that's it that's it just lounge fly just lounge fly <laughs> oh should too. we say what we're going to be doing at sack anime oh yeah. or we talk about that later uh yeah why don't we mention it because maybe people don't know about sack anime go ahead tina yeah so sack anime is a um, convention that happens up in Sacramento on J Street. Um, we've been to s- several. I'm I'm making sure the bike goes by. Oh. <laughs> uh, we've been through several already over the past years, and it, yes, their 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 primary focus is on anime, which I know nothing about. However, <laughs> they have had quite a few Disney guests there and this year's no exception um, so I think Irene Bedard is going to be there we mm-hmm. have seen her before not only up at the SAC anime I believe but also also in uh, MouseCon mm-hmm. which is another great convention that's coming up in November uh, but this time they have Don Bluth mm-hmm. which I have never even come close to seeing so I'm a little perplexed because do I want my, my Pete's Dragon sign do I want my Secret of Nim? DVD sign because Secret of Nim. That's I'm, classic. That's classic. I think I I was debating between um uh a Fievel, American mm, Tale. A Fievel, yeah. American and the Tale voice is going to be there. Yes, Fievel. So mm-hmm. I think I'm leaning towards that one. But I did okay. also buy a small one poster because gotcha. my sisters and I loved the small one. <laughs> um, so definitely check it out they have a couple of them this is their summer mm-hmm. one and then they have a winter one mm-hmm. i believe in january mm-hmm. so they have them twice a year uh definitely worth it's not very expensive to go not to say some of these autographs might right. be a little expensive yeah. and they usually don't post those until the time uh, that you're in line uh so that could be a little sticker shock but yeah. we will find out but they've had Bill Farmer up there. Mm-hmm. They Jason had, Marsden. Yep. Brett, they had a whole little goose Brett, troop going yep. on. Brett. Brett. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brett Iwin. 
Is yep, that how you say yep. his name? From Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So definitely worth a shot. Definitely worth a look at. Was it It's said- easy. To, there's an easy parking up there. Yeah. Was it's it- just, it's nice. Was second maybe when we met all the Beauty and the Beast people? Yes. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're correct on that one. Yeah. Yeah. We love second. That was, that was, that was epic. That was something you, you couldn't, couldn't pass up when literally everybody was there. And, and, and Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I remember your Power Ranger trip. Uh, Power that, Ranger that trip. is an epic photo <laughs> that I, I took. But anyway, enough about Power Rangers, which yes. is also celebrating 30 years. I don't know. I don't know how I'm getting so old, you guys. Um, but get out. <laughs> but I, yeah, we have some fun stuff coming up, which you'll hear about. Maybe I'll post something on our social medias. You never know. Sometimes I feel the urge. Sometimes I really don't. So <laughs> there's that. But, Surprise. Yeah. But anyway, I think that's going to bring us to an end for today. Thank you, Tina and Jeff, for spending some time with me. It's always lovely. Uh, Anytime. Always fun to chat with you and to hear what's going on. All right. Yes. So until next month. Bye. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs> bye, everybody.